0: In Exodus uh, chapter seventeen, we'll go there and start and look at this battle. It's uh, this uh, group of individuals. It's it's probably one of the few battles that people remember because there's some something happened there with Moses. Uh, He received some help. And when he lifted his arms up, they would win. But when he lowered his arms, they would lose. And what happened to give him some help? Huh? All right. Aaron and her, who were there, stood with him and alongside him, and he they propped his arms up as he sat on a rock. That's going to be found in uh, chapter 17, verses 8 and following, and we're going to kind of look at that. And then I'm going to talk to you about this group of people and how they plagued Israel uh, for quite some time. Then Amalek, and this is a group of people in southern Israel, came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and her uh, went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him. He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial to recite it to Joshua that I will early blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now that's the key verse I want you to think about. I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it The Lord is My Banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn and the Lord has war against Amalek from generation to generation. Give me my mouth, Caleb. All right. Out of all the people groups, in exodus you you see them all here the israelites were coming up out of egypt and and they had yet to go up to, to mount sinai that's yet to come but they were somewhere up in this area could have been further south the amalekites were a very uh they very mobile they uh nomads they were nomadic and they traveled around quite a bit and they without provocation because it's still a far cry from when when uh, God was going to send them in to the promised land so they were just out in the wilderness this group of Amalekites came looking for a fight and it it angered God and uh, and we're going to see some things about that it's a When when they eventually leave Sinai, they came up and they crossed the Jordan River up here. But this whole wilderness area, this is a very rocky uh, wilderness area, very dry, arid. I don't know what it was like back then, but I wouldn't put up much of a fight if a group was coming through there because I promise you they weren't going to stay very long. It is... I've been to the to the Dead Sea, and um, it raises rocks real well. That's about all I know to say about it. It's it just it's not pasture land. It's just it's worse than Arizona. I mean, it, it, it there was literally outside the in the Jordan Valley. There's nothing growing on the hillsides, just rock. Um, I I don't even know how you'd graze anything. So they fight, they defeat Amalek this one day, but they don't utterly destroy him because he didn't have his whole army. There's still a... they're going to be a thorn in their side for quite some time because on over in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25... This is what God says about these Amalekites a little later on. He says, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way and when you came up out of Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked you, all the uh, the stag- uh, stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your uh, Surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You must not forget. This is a promise he makes to Moses. That after they've entered into the planet. Remember now, God carried them away from the Amalekites on up above the Dead Sea. And carry them in above them. That's where they begin to settle. Around Jericho and into Jerusalem area. And throughout there. And, and this is what he promised. That after you've done this. After you've settled in. You've got rest. You've reestablished this. Then you're going to blot them out. And take them out. And kill them. Several years later. Uh. Probably close to 200 years later, God raised up a king, the first king of Israel. God didn't raise him up. They wanted him, and this is one God picked. And he was given a task in 1 Samuel 15 to do one thing. What do you think it was? What did we just talk about? He was to wipe out the Amalekites. This is what God says in in Samuel 15. Says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel and how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. God never forgets a promise. Some 200 years later, they were supposed to be passing down and remembering what the Amalekites had done. He kind of got on the bad side of God. And when, when it came time, God gives a task to a king that the people wanted and God chose and Samuel anointed to do this. Is that pretty clear what he says right there? They go to war. and They kill a lot of them. But they didn't quite do the whole job. Samuel rose up early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and he turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. He's back up in the northern part of Israel. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him... Or I said, but Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Let's see. What was the, the charge? Man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. There, you see, this whole idea... At times God would let them take the spoils of a group and they could build upon that. But the Amalekites, God said, I don't want you to have any part of it. He's fulfilling a promise he made to Moses a couple hundred years prior. But Saul felt like he had uh, a little more knowledge. So they... Allowed the people to keep the best oxen, the best sheep, the best donkeys and whatever else. And they also kept the king and kept him alive. And Samuel came and confronted him with his sin. And Samuel ends up killing the king. But this disobedience in this one era cost Saul the kingdom. Because at this moment, God said he would remove Saul from being the king and none of his descendants would follow him because of his disobedience. First of all, he had already erected an an altar and had sacrifices that he wasn't commanded to do. Only Samuel was allowed to be doing that at that time. The thing is, folks, when God makes a promise and then gives you a command, you're supposed to do the whole thing. Not half of it, not part of it. Maybe Saul didn't know the promise God had made to Moses because along the way maybe they forgot. So maybe that was an excuse that he didn't know But what he did know is exactly what God had told him to do through Samuel. It didn't matter whether he knew the history of it. It didn't matter whether he understood anything else about it. He was given a task, and he failed to keep that task because he didn't have the heart to tell the people not to take those things because he wanted some to, greed. A little bit of greed leads to a lot of disobedience, and they all would suffer at the hands of that. This one event right here caused the Amalekites to allow them to continue to multiply. King David finally almost defeated him. he defeated all but 400 young men who escaped on camels. and it goes on, on the next time we hear of them was King the sky, which is another 400 years down the road. But disobedience can cause heartache for a long time generation after generation after generation and it can lead to more and more battles and more and more problems because sin our sins can sometimes look small but when we begin to look at the outcome or consequences it can hinder the work of the kingdom for generations I don't know about you but what 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 I do know about you I don't much think y'all really want to cause harm to the kingdom's work for the next 3 or 400 years do you There's already enough harm being done You know, when I talked about last night, about 247 years ago, what the families, the men, women, young boys and all did to give us the freedom we have. And then even the unbelievers within that group, such as Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, when they wrote the Constitution, they based it upon the Word of God. Even though Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian, Thomas Jefferson wasn't. Not sure about some of the others, but not all of them would be what you'd call faithful believers. But they understood the Word of God was something that was important to them. And as a nation, they instilled this document we call the Constitution based upon the Word of God. Where are we at now? Where did it go wrong? It started going wrong whenever man started being in charge. As good as it was said. And it's pretty amazing that 247 years later, the Constitution was written so well that it still applies today. To me, it's still pretty amazing they had that much wisdom. But what did they use for a guideline? The Bible. If it had been written by lawyers, we'd be in a world of hurt, wouldn't we? It would have been amended, in a, and it has been amended. So, but overall, it's pretty sound document, even today. The way they governed, they set up and broke it down based on what the Word of God says. But now, especially the past 50 or 60 years, we've moved from uh, having households with a mom and dad to not even knowing what a mom is. And men can get pregnant and have kids, from what I hear. Um uh, We've gotten so far away from the Word of God and there's groups of people today that want to totally do away with the Constitution. But it's because man continues to repeat the same problems over and over. We never want to fully do what God's commanded us to do. And that will haunt us the rest of our lives if we're the ones doing like King Saul. When you stand before God, you're going to give account for one person. You. What you've done. But I also believe you're going to be able to look into the the lives of the people that are ahead of you and see how some of those decisions affected generations in front of you. Because you were affected by generations behind you because of what they've done. Israel was haunted for probably five, six hundred years. I don't I, I didn't put the time frame on it, but Hezekiah was one of the last well, let's see. 1450 B.C. when Moses came out of Egypt, roughly around 1450. <clears throat> Judah was overran. Uh, or, J- Jerusalem was surrounded by Sennacherib around 722 B.C. That's about 700 years, isn't it? Somewhere. That they was haunted by one group of people. Not even a big group of people bunch of nomads and it all falls back on King Saul really because once Moses had defeated him God left told him to leave him alone for a while but he had a day coming but then David had to fight him and some escaped then you see, God had them all in one place when he had Saul there. Saul could have literally destroyed the whole group of people. But because he didn't, they were allowed to flourish and move on, and that became a thorn in Israel's side. Uh, We've got to be careful, folks. We got to be careful. You got to be prayed up. You got to listen to God. You got to read His word. And sometimes you just got to do what you don't always understand. The purpose, but God knows. You better know His voice when He speaks to you about it too, because He has a purpose there. And we've got a written history about a group of people called the Amalekites who didn't trust God. Now, does that make God a harsh God because He wanted to destroy all the people? Why would God be so mean anyway? He had a purpose protect his chosen. And whoever attacked his chosen, he had a punishment for him. And he had a time set aside for that punishment. And he had a person and he had everything worked out. But one man's wisdom got in the way of God's will. And it had years and years of consequences. But anyway, it's kind of interesting to me when you read and study about these people. The ones that helped Israel as they were on this journey, God poured out blessings. Oh, the Amalekites were descendants of a a brother of a a man named Jacob. A twin brother of a man named Jacob. What was that brother's name? Oh, Esau. Hmm. Maybe that explains why they were uh, so angry at Israel. Because what did Jacob do to Esau? Took his blessing, took his birthright. Somebody may have been talking some stories up. Ages. I've been their motivation. Esau was a wanderer and kind of a wild man. There's a group of people over there now that's. Uh, Descendants of another descendant of Abraham that's giving Israel fits, and that would be the descendants of who? Not Isaac. What's that other boy's name? Ish Ishmael, son of the flesh. Isaac was a promise. Abraham made a few mistakes along the way. Wife encouraged him. But she didn't have the patience to wait upon God. Her wisdom got in the way of God's will. So, And, you know, she never liked it. She was jealous, especially after she became pregnant with Isaac. Oh, she became extremely jealous. Well, Why did she get jealous about Ishmael? That was a result of her decision. She had to live with the consequences because it was a constant reminder that God kept his bargain. And if she'd waited, there wouldn't have been anyone to contend with the descendants of Isaac. See, God's known for doing the impossible. We tend to want to live in the realm of what we see we can do. You're not going to learn a lot of faith when you live in the realm of what you can do. Faith comes in trusting God in the common, everyday thing. If you can learn to trust God today in the little things, You won't have any problem. How many of you believe God has the ability to give you eternal life? How many of you believe I can give you eternal life? How many of you believe a doctor can give you eternal life? Nobody? So it's pretty easy to believe God can do something that we know man can't do. of your family needs to learn this. You're talking about some of them with finances. You may I believe God can take care of your finances? You know? That's a, that's a lesson you got to learn. How may I you believe God can protect you? Mm-hmm. You know... It seems like we, it's easy for us to believe God can do the things we can't do, but we struggle more with the things that we don't believe God can take care of what we can do or what we think we can do. That's this is what he said. <clears throat> Jesus said, you'll swallow a camel, but you'll choke on a gnat. And what he's saying is you'll swallow a big lie and yet you're you're okay with it, but he gives you a little bit of truth and it strangles you. And and, and we're kind of that away. The big stuff we'll believe God can do, but we don't believe he can do the little stuff. Well, folks, if, if God can't take care of the little stuff, he can't take care of the big stuff. (laughs) and I'm not saying God's lying, I'm saying i got to be smart enough to know if God can give me eternal life, then he can also take care of the little things today. And I need to let him do it. And trust him. And watch over me. And just do what he tells me to do. And be all joyful in that. Man, I don't know how I did it. Either clock slow or I was fast. I've never let y'all out at 718. Maybe I just got a, a better group tonight. Y'all listen quicker. That's what it was. Y'all were listening quicker. You hear Ron? He said we need a new battery in the clock. Well, we'll just check the time, to see. One minute off. I think the battery's okay. But uh, anyway, if y'all don't mind, we'll continue on because we're going to Mount Sinai next. I don't know where it is, but you're going to find out Israel runs out of patience in 40, less than 40 days. They don't even they can't wait forty days for God to do something. And Him standing right in front of them and them seeing what's going on. Forty days. You and I have got a lot of days in front of us that's gonna be pretty rough. Could possibly have a seven year tribulation period. We better be ready for something if we expect our faith to last more than 40 days. And i tell you the truth, a lot of people's faith can't carry them through seven years of tribulation. But he said the very elect, those who truly love him, will endure to the end. Father, you're a loving, caring, awesome God. Your thoughts are not our thoughts, that's for sure. Your mind is not our mind. But Father, we're on this side of the cross, therefore we've got something that the Israelites didn't have. We've got your Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts interpret your word, to interpret our prayers, to reveal your truth. Yet so many times we seem to stagger along just like King Saul and so many of the others. The flesh is constantly fighting your spirit. And we have problems determining which way to go. I pray we read your word. Allow your spirit to interpret that word to us. To pick us up and carry us forward. So that we can learn from the mistakes of others and not make them ourselves. But I praise you because you're worthy to be praised. I don't always understand up front the reasoning, but you've never failed to explain it to me as I went on that journey. And I've had to learn through the years to just walk with you, trust you, I wish I could say 100% of the time I did exactly what you wanted me to, but I know I've struggled too. But Father, I pray that you bless these people here tonight as they grow in their faith. Pray for those that are not here that you they grow in their faith, that we'd become united together for the purpose of reaching this community for Christ. I ask it in your son's name. Amen. God bless you. Y'all have a great week. Go look at the kitchen. Jimmy and Bob has been doing a lot of work. They got most of that uh, FRP up.